phones. Just so good. Um, I want to I want to introduce a, a, a series because we haven't been preaching series since COVID two years ago, got massively disrupted, and uh, we used to preach series of messages that would go like three four weeks. Um, and we stopped doing that because we felt like every week represented a whole new deal. And then we prophetically had to speak into that every week differently. So we got basically interrupted, disrupted from preaching series. I think, I, I think I'm, the Lord's speaking to me about preaching a series uh, about going at uh, uh, destiny. Uh, and, 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 the, and the message is the journey ahead. And I want to talk about, I, I want to tease out um, basically, I think, which is going to be our game plan going forward as a church. Uh, all the days, 26 years is right, Andrew, 26 years ago, I intuitively r- realized that God was calling me to lead a group of people called church um, into days of glory, days of being revived not just doing church. Uh, I didn't sign up for that, to do just nice, pleasant church. That wasn't not what we signed up for. We believe that 26 years ago that the Lord was coming and that the Lord was quite uh, powerfully availing himself to the church and a, a worldwide move of God in the 90s um, apprehended my family's life, including my children. And we got swept up from being just a dutiful, nice, pleasant family serving in our CLC church back in the day. Julie had the dance school, and that was our outlet of the gospel. That was our, our bit that we were doing for God's kingdom, which was Julie's dance school through performing arts, sharing a message, and then Julie would get to share a little bit in that. And we thought that was it. But no, then God found us faithful with that start a church and in Wyong, our hometown. And we thought, oh my goodness, no way. <laughs> uh, but the Lord had so apprehended our hearts and I was so convinced by the power of the Spirit and the anointing that it could be done. It was there because I'd gone to Bible college in 1990 and uh, when they said to me, as 17 students, when they said, so what do you want to do, Pastor uh, uh, Phil, not Pastor, what do you want to do, Phil? Every seven, all the 17 students said they want to be pastors, ministry, want to start a church. Uh, yours truly said, I just want to go back to work, which was the, um, where Jamie works at the juvenile justice uh, system and is where Rachel now works in the juvenile justice system, attending to the lads. She got a new promotion and job and fantastic. Give it up for her and Jamie. Because they're at the coalface with our juvenile offenders and they are not in there for overdue library books. They are in there for massive uh, complications of life and we should pray for those guys. But I would, uh, God bless you, you can sit down. I'm, I'm just so chuffed. I'm so excited to say something that, that let me just get this off my heart. Let me, let me find my footing. Um, and so I said, I, I just want to go back to work. You know, I just think I'm doing a great job there, a role model. I get to play every ball sport known to man. I get to go to the gym every day, and it's awesome. I get paid, and, and I get paid to test out uh, my Christian faith, which is really change atmospheres. And that was probably one of the great lessons I learned in the boys' home, changing the atmosphere 
uh, in dormitories of 30 lads climbing the walls and punching holes and, and you know, coming up, you know, wanting to bash each other. And I realized the power of prayer could change the atmosphere. Oh my God. And so it worked at home. I could change the atmosphere in my car when the girls would, the girls, the girls would get a little bit antsy with each other and it worked at home. I wonder if it could work in, in the boys' jail, boy, boys' home, and it did. And so, you know, and I saw really agitated lads pacified by the power of prayer and by the authority that we have to change atmospheres. Amen? Who believes in this stuff? And so we, we, that's what Christians do. Christians have a capacity to realign um, the circumstances of life. And we do that. We do that when we pray for the sick. And I do want to pray. I've got so much to do this morning. And so I'm burdened by, uh, I'm not going to mention names, but I know a minister who's waking up in the morning and he has eye issues. Um, He's literally blind in one eye. And uh, he's not sure why this is happening. And and then I know some other people uh, in my circle of friends that have eye issues, and so, and then this uh, last week I've realized I've got a little something, a little agitation, I think it's just an ulcer, but the Lord, you know, when you start praying for someone's ailment, and you start to get the ailment, you know, I'm praying for that hip, you know, I go, well, hang on, my hips, <laughs> blow him, I've got it. <laughs> no, it's not like that, it, it, it's, it's, it's an intercessory thing actually, where the Lord gives you a burden for some, someone, and you start to carry that burden. And so, Father, right now, in the name of Jesus, the massive price that you paid on the cross for our bodies to be healed, the Bible says, by his stripes we are healed. I want you to agree with me right now for people's... Now everyone can get caught up in this, whatever your ailment is. But in Jesus' name, I am praying specifically for eyes to be healed healed and those people you know who they are Lord are coming now under the inspiration and the power of God's spirit for their eyes to be healed Lord from every ailment from every dysfunction from every adversity of health we are commanding those eyes to be healed in Jesus name And Lord, we are praying for the other ailments in the house right now. We're praying for your ailments, whatever they are. We're bringing them under the blood of Christ, under the promises of God. And we're declaring a right mind, a right spirit, but a right body to serve you with, to stand up and worship you with. Lord, I'm asking Jesus, I'm asking for healing and health to every health situation in this church in the power of your spirit by the promises of God be healed and the saints say amen well the journey ahead Uh, I do want to give an announcement at the end of the message uh, about vision builders and um, and prophetically God's just so speaking to me and I was started off by saying, I, we started this church 26 years ago by believing that we were leading a people 
in the Bible they call in the Old Testament to Mount Zion, which is the presence of God, where the, where the ark was, where the presence was. So this is, this is a people that just don't want to do religion, but they're on a pilgrimage, so to speak, amen? They're on a journey through their heart. Awesome giving message this morning, Andrew. You're really in the flow there, good buddy. And um, it's those people that create a highway in their heart to the presence of God. That, that's, that was the inspiration. And Julie and I knew we could lead a people like that to the more of God, out of the doldrums, out of the the complacency of the church out of the standard, you know, contemporary view of church, we, we could lead a people to uh, the throne of grace. Amen? And we just knew we could. And we were doing it, in, in, it started off in cell groups in our homes that got bigger and bigger. People were coming down from Katoomba. We knock, knock on the door, sorry, so who are you? Oh, we come down from Katoomba. Uh, yeah, what, to this house? Yes, this was the house, number nine. And uh, I said, yeah, said, because we heard that you guys are having revival meetings. So the house had 20 people in the lounge room now, and then 25, and then we hired a hall, and then it just progressively grew because people realized that they could find inspiration to journey on towards the Lord because that's what we're about, taking people... Letting them realize, did we have any artwork for this? Is that it? That's the journey. My God. That little bit of dirt up there, is that representing me? No one behind me? Oh, right, there really is someone up there. I was only joking. I really thought that was a bit of dirt. They know you're a leader if someone is following. <laughs> Maybe I just should give up. Look, guys, sorry, but... <laughs> All right, so thank you, Lord. So let's, quali- let's clarify what I'm trying to say there. Intuitively, all right, let, let me do this. Intuitively, I realized way back from the start I was leading a band of people, band on the road, <laughs> sorry, it's people, people like, we always get triggered to, when you get to this stage, it'll happen to you, don't laugh young people. Um, and so I realized I was leading these people and this is what contextualized and gave me perspective of leading this church, is that we were leading the people to Jesus to, in the Old Testament, it says Mount Zion, to the place of his presence. And over the hills, through the valleys, through the Red Seas, through the Jordans, we were leading, we, through the desert, <laughs> we were leading the people. And this is what always motivated me to lead the church, by what I preached, layering in messages that gave him another you know, uh, an, an, another hope of a glimmer of hope that there was a light still radiating from God that we were to follow, like out on a sea with a ship and you need a, a, a like a lighthouse and then, 
oh my God, yes, you know, and you follow that through the most awkward times, and that's what we're called to do, show a light that you know, this is who Jesus was. He is the light, the Savior of our world. And so God's prophetically got me back to this message of um, understanding intuitively that we are all together on a journey. And the guts of it, it I, I, I want to give context because every, I'm going to say a bunch of stuff, but I want to give context. The guts of what the Lord is saying to me through that prophetic message, and this is the imagery I get, is mountain climbing, connected together by ropes, base station. But one day you've got to come out of the base station and you've got to ascend the hill of the Lord. You've got to begin your journey. So many Christians are in the base station on the flat. They're not ascending the hill of the Lord. Who may ascend the hill of the Lord? But those with clean hands. So it's a sanctification process. The clean hands deal is about the priests washing their hands, having to do service in the temple. So it's a cleansing of the heart. It's a renewal of, of the mind, you know, and being able to ascend the hill with, a, with an understanding that you are being drawn up on a pilgrimage to the Lord. Is this good? Because there is a high propensity with all the choices the world's given you to stay in the base station of Christianity. This is comfortable. Who wants to get out in the blizzard? Who wants to get out in the cold? Man, no one wanted to get up this morning probably in the cold, I mean. But, but this is what we got to do. we got to go forward, guys. We can't be staying in the base station of COVID or, or some economic situation. we got to keep ascending and moving forward. That's the guts of my message. Can I get, can I get some praise for what Jesus is saying to us this morning? So the journey ahead, prophetically, as I said, I'm realizing more and more that we're on a journey, a spiritual journey. And I'm realizing I'm speaking to new Christians and new people that have just come into the house and they're coming, your friends and mine are, are very curious about God, how he can avail himself in these days. So be mindful of your friends that, are, that you see them in a situation where obviously they're, they're, they're complexed about the days we live in, the existential drama that we're all living in now, the wars, the the pestilence, all the drama that the Bible, you know, talks about in Matthew 24 is around us. And, and it's around, unfortunately, our, our children will get a whiff of it too. So you got to, parents, you got to be absolutely, you know, resolved to know that there's great hope in your God, bringing you out to a great day of destiny and purpose in Him. Amen? So we are very mindful of your children and wow, they're doing a great job. Uh, Meg and the team out there. I, f I was teaching uh, Bible college this week at C3 Spectrum. They've given me one module to preach through the, um, the C3 online Bible college, which they're doing in-house at Spectrum. And I'm saying things like, faith is a gift from God, and it is. And I'm, and I'm saying, it's essential that God's people learn to live by faith. Uh, and then, of course, the scripture, without faith, it is impossible to please God. Uh, and, and of course, faith is not natural to man, to unredeemed man. It's just not, it's just not uh, real. And then when people are born again, 
their spirit, which was formerly dead to God, and you can see that in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1, begins to function. So when you are saved and your spirit begins to function again in its various faculties, into its restored operation, energized, directed by the Holy Spirit, uh, 1 Corinthians 6, 17, meaning that now you have a whole different uh, vision of your life and your ability to see the future of what God is saying to you uh, as your life fulfilled. Um, we would say things like, we are called to live out of our spirit um, in the realm of faith. So we're body, soul, soul, mind, will, emotions, and our spirit, our regenerated spirit, which is born again, alive to God. But this is what I want to say to you. When I say intuitively, I realized I'm saying this. Um, when you got saved, and this is just a little short faith lesson for everyone, just to give some uh, understanding of how to do this crazy journey. And you've you, you got to understand this stuff. When you got saved, your spirit got regenerated. Your spirit came alive uh, in God. Um, your faculties of faith sprung alive. And those faculties are, and you can write this down, fellowship. Uh, the three primary parts. Uh, and, it, and it's by the development and the expression of these faculties of the spirit that faith received as a gift from God is realized, is released, is released. So the three faculties are fellowship. Your, when you get saved, and this, you know, after this message, I'll give an altar call in your seats or you can come down the front. You can give your life to the Lord through a short prayer. Amen? And, and, and when you do that by the volition of your own will, your spirit comes alive. You're born again. And you know it to be true. I knew when I was born again in 79, when I read the prayer of salvation and a light came into my room, literally a visible light came into the room and it, it, was, it was amazing uh, and it happened to me again, three times that light I've seen in my life, anyway. Uh, so when I got saved in 79, besides George's River, I think it was, living with the boys, and I gave my life to the Lord, uh, and I said it from, the, from my heart, and instantly I knew I was saved. And I saw a light, a white light, which is consensus of opinion, opinion uh, across uh, Christendom, says that's the Holy Spirit. And so I came alive, and my spirit came alive, and the three faculties came alive. I didn't know this, but I can tell you now that the ability to fellowship with God was upgraded to the hill, meaning my love for God and my ability to worship kicked in. Is that awesome? The other thing that kicks in when you're saved, when your spirit is regenerated, no other religion does this, by the way. This only can be done through Christ Jesus, who said to to the Pharisee, Nicodemus said, you must, the ruling Pharisee, the religious Jewish leader of the day, Jesus is saying to him and introducing a whole different game plan. And he says to him, Nicodemus, you're great, you're awesome, you're following the Jewish law, Six, 630 laws of the Jewish religion. 
But can I tell you this? It's by the Spirit that you can't see. It's by the Spirit that you receive God. And it's by the Spirit that you will come alive in God. And he says to him, what does he say? You must be born again. Just like when you were born again physically into this world, you become born again into his spirit and you awaken into a whole new day of living in his spirit. You getting something from this? So the first faculty... They have faculties in university, don't they? There's a door, the faculty of this. So the first door in your heart, that on it, it says fellowship, meaning your love for God and worship. Two is your intuition, which, which they say women already have, God given to, why? To protect their children. There's something going on, kids. Come in from, from outside and the, the mums gather, like mother hens gather the kids in. And in comes the stranger on horseback. Because the man, in th- these are analogies I'm using that uh, are maybe old-fashioned, but it's still too to be true to be true. Um, the man is out hunting and gathering for two, three days, say. And the woman is left home to fend for the children. And the woman has given this ability to be intuitive, to protect the children. Why do men sleep all during the night and the women are getting up with the newborn? They're getting up all the time. With all the children. (laughs) Even when they're 16, 17, going out at night. You know, and the child's not home from going out at night. And and 36 even, yeah. Uh, Whatever age, the women are wired, wired for that. They're prompted, they awaken, they, they awaken. They have an intuition, which is a God intuition, but I'm talking about a spiritual intuition. So the second faculty of your faith is intuition, meaning access to God, prompted to hear the voice of God, meaning revealing God's purpose and strategy. It's like a knowledge. It's like you've been given a word of knowledge, but knowledge from God, and you just instinctively know what to do, what to say, not what not to do, what not to do and say. Do you know what I'm saying? And it can come and often comes by a rhema word. The Logos word is your Bible, but the rhema word is the spirit with the word accompanying that and giving you a revelation in a certain matter. That's the rhema word and that, that's revelation and that's where you get it in the spirit. That's where well, we say the conviction of our spirit or the prompting of our spirit is, is something of the intuitive faculty I'm talking about. It gives purpose, it gives strategy, and that's exactly what I was talking about when God gave me intuitively knowledge that the church was not a, a dormant, insular uh, gathering of people hanging out in, in a culture club, no, we are on a journey. So how that was realized for us was two school halls, cross the river, Wyong River, take the land, meet in a tent, a tent of meeting for five years on this land, and then build a temple, build, build an altar. The church is recognized by its altar. Once your altar is struggling 
and the Bible says in Numbers, I think it is, or Leviticus, it says, keep the altar burning. Keep the altar. So we do that through prayer, consecrated living, so that when we do church, the worship goes off, the people come, they hear God, and it's all because of this altar that God has given us. Say, thank you, Lord, for that. You're in a church that believes in the altar. The other one is your conscience. It's an arbiter. This is the third faculty, your conscience. And it's an arbiter bearing witness to truth and judges, checks, and approves through morality and through your values. That's why we need to be whole. We need to be sanctified. Your conscience can be seared, can be just shut down, and you can just act like a, just, you know, some people are acting like beasts. Some men, you know, in particular, just animalistic. You can do that through businesses, through life, and they just, you know, they've got no conscience. So, but we have a conscience. We go, oh, I'm not sure if God be in that. So our conscience is upgraded. Basically, faith the means is the means of rising beyond our own limitations and circumstances that enables us to walk this spiritual dimensions that defy rational and our logical mind. This is the journey that we're on, folks. So biblical faith comes uh, out of a personal relationship with the Lord, and it is increased through in in an ever-deepening relationship with Him. That's where faith comes from. It's from Him. It's in you now, but it comes alive even more so when you fellowship with Him, when you commune with Him. Does that make sense? It just comes alive. You just get more excited and enthusiasm. What's the word enthusiasm mean? Possessed by God. So you get more enthusiastic about seeing things change, seeing your friends blessed, seeing your friends healed. Being enthused because you're being with God enables faith to flow in the marketplace out and about in the, in the, in the place you, you have influence. Does that make sense? So faith is at what we live by. And so, whoo, I did say we're going forward always is God's best and God's best for us no matter what we are going through. And, and going forward begins in your heart. Folks, we've got to, we've got to regroup. And, 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 and allow our heart to be resolved again, to go forward in God, even when it looks like there's no way. So this is what the Lord gave me, an imagery of climbing together, joined together by a rope, not, not by a dutifulness of having to be the church, but spiritually realizing by faith we are all on a journey and if we understand that God, why he said he wanted to build the church was to create these groups of people, because uh, it started way back with tribes, the 12 tribes, then the kingdom, the north, the south. And then Jesus turns up in the New Testament, he says, I will build my church, groups of people that will care for each other, love each other, travel with each other, support each other carry supplies for each other. There will be leaders up at the front, strong ones. There will be strong ones at the back, making sure the ones in the middle are not being left behind. That's great. 
ascending the hill of the Lord because you can't do this Christian life yourself. That's why online church is not the answer. It is really the nitty-gritty of the fellowship, the relational value of the church journey. Now, this is amazing. Jilly says to me, Dad, this Sunday we need to do a working bit. I said, no, no, this Sunday. No, you mean Saturday. No, no Dad, we, this Sunday we need to do a working bit. I said, no, hang on. So we're going to do an hour for church. We're going to worship the Lord, have a word, and then after that we'll do working bit. He said, no, no, Dad. No, no, we need to do a working bee for three, four hours, Sunday morning, and no church. Oh, my God. The baby boomer, he's, you know, the, the, the man of 26 years doing church every Sunday morning. Uh, my mind is doing backflips. And I had to really suck it up. I just went, oh, my God. No worship, no preaching. This is, this is, this is interesting, but... I'm willing to be flexible and change and, and, and listen because that's the quandary we're all in, needing to adapt to a new day that we're living in. Amen? So I said, Jilly, all right, if you say so, if you want to do a working bee this Sunday, gather the people and, uh, yes, we do need a hand to fix this property up. Well, the people turned up with bells on and... They're telling me as they're working so wonderfully. And at the end, this one man says to me, this has been such a great day. Anytime, anytime you have a working bee, I'm in boots and all. I love this stuff. See, men have a propensity to want to do stuff. That's why they struggle with church because it's all mystical and it's all words, words, words. And the man's sitting there with his toolbox He's got his favorite power tools, Shane. He's got his, you know, he's got his spade. He's got his stuff, man. He wants to exercise his commitment to the church through the stuff he can do. He doesn't want to sing Kumbaya and, and um, you know. And, but that day did more for the community and, and for the men, I believe, and for everyone because a lot of comments we had come back say, that was so good. I really felt my brother beside me. You know, they're out in the fence line with the gum boots in the mud, you know. And I really felt, you know, Jamie, he was helping me. I saw Andrew and Jamie out there and they're pulling weeds out. And something is suggesting that they are on a journey, that they're helping each other and, and they need each other. And, and this is what I got, this imagery of this video. So if we could play that, God bless you. Just four minutes, guys. I woke up on December 23rd, 2015, frigid, with a coat of frost covering the inside of the tent. Every time we moved, the frost flakes off and snows down on top of us. We're at 18,000 feet at Camp 2 on Aconcagua, South America's highest peak. We'd been stuck here for two days already, and we had at least another day before we climb again. Outside, the temperature sits at about 10 below, and the wind is whipping at about 50 to 60 miles an hour. Inside of our tent, 
My climbing partner, Rob Marshall, and I are cocooned in six inches of down stuffing inside of our sleeping bags with just our faces poking out. This is equally one of the most miserable days of my life <laughs> and one of the most fun. <laughs> the next day, one of our climbing crew who had been suffering a severe headache and a debilitating nausea decides to turn back. Her altitude sickness had gotten worse overnight instead of getting better as we had all hoped. So when, we, when she headed down to base camp, we went up to camp three and 20,000 feet. We didn't sleep that night. We rose around midnight to eat our breakfast of stale crackers and stale dry cereal. We left our tent at about one o'clock, but even with a high level of exertion, some of the fanciest climbing gear, we still struggle to keep warm. The sun rises at about 6 a.m., but on the other side of the mountain. So we can see the sun's rays hitting the peaks all around us, but we still stay in the mountain shadow for another three hours. We'd expected cold, but nothing like this. It's an interesting thing about the mountains is they're very seasonal. In December, in the northern hemisphere, nobody's above 18,000 feet. The conditions are just too harsh and they would perish pretty quickly. Where we're at on Aconcagua is in the southern hemisphere. And we were currently hitting the front side of a two to three month weather window in which Aconcagua was able to be climbed. This also happens to be one of the seven summits of the world. So we had our work cut out for it, to say the least. Well, after months of training and planning and 16 days of climbing, we stood 22,838 feet on the summit. And for a brief moment, each of us was the highest human being alive on the planet. I'm here to talk about climbing. Climbing a mountain is actually quite simple. A lot of people will dismiss it, but really, if you break it down, it's doable. You gotta have the right perspective on the climb. You gotta train for it. We have to work for it. And we have to have a good team. But the actual act of climbing a mountain is really quite simple. And I'm gonna show you. Are you ready? You missed it, didn't you? <laughs> I'll show you again. But this time, I'll slow it down. There it is. <laughs> Putting one foot in front of the other. It's really that simple. Moving forward, always moving forward, being further ahead than we were 10 minutes ago, 10 hours ago, 10 days ago. On a mountain, we're either climbing or we're freezing to death. Nobody's gonna carry us to the top, but it's really quite simple as long as we break it down. The first thing that we need to do is get perspective on our challenge. A lot of people dismiss mountain climbing as impossible, saying, I could never do that. Could never. More accurately, will never. But do we really mean? Yes, uh, it is a journey, and I just love that one foot after the other. So we are on a journey, it's a spiritual journey, and. Um, there are mountains to climb uh, as a church, personally, um, but I know this, being with a team, people that can help you in your morale, in, in your encouragement, uh, you, can, you can break out of that funk. Uh, everyone knows that word funk, it's, it's like a depressed state 
being caught in a predicament where you just seemingly have no uh, largeness of life, I guess, and you, you're stuck. So this is what I want to say, uh, and I'm not going to be able to preach this message, I can see that, but I will just give you a teaser and say this, life is a journey and we have a journey ahead. That's prophetically what I want to say to us this morning. I'm being most serious too. Especially as a people of the 21st century, um, I'll be honest, it's leaders, uh, people are dealing with many tensions of Western society, dealing with a period of transition, large-scale rapid change in this, in this social context. It's seemingly a period of turmoil. And I'm only saying this to give context of the reality why I believe that we should be like our friends' um, team there. In, in becoming the team, the family, the army called church, amen? We need to do this. We need to, to, to drill down a little bit more and become a little bit more vulnerable in realizing each other's worth and giftedness. Uh, everyone's been given a portion of grace, the Bible says, to benefit each one of us. You have a grace. Forget this one-man show stuff. You all have something just seeing Jamie at Big Noise, uh, Jamie Gregg there, just on Big Noise, I was there Monday morning, and he he's came up to me and said, I, I, I might be able to help with Big Noise, I said, what do you mean? He said, well, back at Hillsong, back 20 years ago, I helped with kids' ministry and uh, did a bit of leading and did stuff, I was, oh man, go see Louise. So he turns up son, uh, that Monday morning, and I see this guy, a whole different animal, a whole different person. He is on fire to lead. He's in his element. He's just got such a giftedness to lead a whole bunch of children. Like I think there was 60, 70 children that morning. And he's doing it because I didn't see it, but he's gifted to do it. So it's an amazing thing when people offer themselves to the challenge, the journey how do local churches navigate such a changing context? Um, we're asking that. What is the journey ahead for the church? And you know all the controversy out there and stuff. What must change? What can't we change? Change to what and how? Uh, and so this statement from Peter F. Drucker says some years ago, Every few hundred years throughout Western history, a sharp transformation has occurred. In a matter of decades, society altogether rearranges itself. It's a worldview, its basic values, it rearranges itself in its worldview, its basic... I'm watching the latest Thor, man. That was a whole bunch different than the, than the thoughts I've watched before. It's really accelerating. They're introducing now, you know, woke themes and um, LGBT and, and uh, you know, sorry to have to say it if you haven't seen it yet, but we are being indoctrinated and unfortunately Disney now has been hijacked and um, I'm sorry to say that we are now dealing with what change as prophesied by this man a sharp transformation has occurred. It's a matter of decades. Society altogether rearranges itself, its worldview, its basic values, its social and political structures, its arts, its key institutions. Fifty years later, a new world exists. Our age is such a period of transformation. That is a quote from Peter F. Drucker some years ago. 
And so we have new oversight. That is Pastor Martin uh, Webb. He is a prophetic ministry, a prophetic. Isn't that good news that we have Pastor Martin? He, he's the guy that we're accountable to. So when all our, just a little business meeting here. So when all our finances uh, are reconciled through the accountant, that then is presented to Martin. He checks it out, seeing if we're allocating budgets and doing stuff according to, you know, the, the Lord's view of things and, and, the, and the movement's view of things. He looks at that, so we're accountable every which way. And But he gives us covering, and he's very mindful of us, and straight away I'm getting a lot of encouragement from Martin Webb. Let's bless him right now with a hand clap, because um, we need to... And he says he has a prophetic vision and passion for the church in his new book, Days of All, which is available to buy here if you want it, states that we're in the days like no other time in history. And the prophetic ministry is actually saying that we're in a new era, a new era. And he calls it, the book is called Days of All. So he says we're in this 10-year uh, era where... Uh, the good news is a significant time of abundant grace. Did you feel how much, and right now, how much grace there is to be church? You guys were saying yesterday, you're there in the cold, in the wet. Oh, by the way, I was at the Springs playing golf. Such was the state of affairs there with the weather. My mates were literally wearing gumboots, gumboots, playing 18 holes. And we were, hard, we were, just, we were only the few people out there because my mates are absolutely die hard for golf. If I could get them absolutely saved to church, they would be leading groups. They would be out the front leading us up the mountain of the Lord with gumboots on. And these guys are not fair-weathered friends. Gumboots. And uh, they said to me, didn't you bring your gumboots? I said, well, I actually had a pair in the car. But um, these guys are just tenacious. They love golf and they are on a mission. Days of awe, abundant abundant grace to be the church. These guys are grace to play golf in any weather condition. I'd ring them up and say, so golf's off today? You kidding? Well, we're down there. They've got their, their raincoat on. They're, not their gumboots usually, but they're all weather gear. And they play in the wet. They're grace to do that. I believe we need grace to be the church. But grace comes through understanding what God is saying through that grace to have strategy to ascend the hill of the Lord, to journey together, to be the church of Jesus Christ. So he says, Martin says, an abundant grace, transformation, and transformation of the church. Maybe working bees on Sundays was, was part of the reformation of the church. I don't know. And he actually says that, a reformation of the church. The, the tense world is displaying frustration, the weather, oh my goodness, and it waits for God's sons and daughters this is a prophetic statement in Romans 8.18, if we could have that, and I'm not going to be too much longer because I'm not going to be able to preach this message, but I do want to give an announcement to our vision builders. The tense world is displaying frustration as it waits for God's sons and daughters to arise in their true identity, amen, to display the glory of God. Now, the Bible says it like this, for I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed through us, the church. 19, for the earnest expectation of creation eagerly awaits for the revealing of the sons and daughters of God. Is that good news? So in this quandary, 
in this quandary where we find ourselves, it is very much, oh dear Lord, let me just say this this much. The world is saying, when your plans get foiled, find yourself on a detour, or you're smack dab in the middle of troubles, you hear a well-meaning friend try to comfort you, to say to you in the right direction, with the phrase, life is a journey, not a destination. It's a motto. But it's not completely true, is it? Yes, life is a journey. All that happens in the moment that we're living, because this this guy, he's wrote this book, Self-Reliance, Ralph Waldo Emerson. He says, he says, it's not the destination, it's the journey. But I, I propose to you, if we lose focus of our destination, of heaven, we lose the impetus or the encouragement to what? To give him glory, share with others, And we lose the understanding that what we're going through is preparing us for that day of heaven. Is that right? It is all about the journey and it is all about the destination. It's so true. Personally, if I'm traveling somewhere and if I take my focus off, if my focus gets distracted from where I'm going, I just lose sight of, especially in my house. Uh, you know, you're walking through, what am I in this room for? I was going, so, what did Julie say again? Uh, probably in the wrong room. Ah, oh, it's not in this room. So if you take your eyes off the destination, you will end up anywhere. Isn't that right? So Paul says it like this. Um, Thank you, Lord. Let me say this scripture first, Colossians 3, verse 1. And then you were raised up with Christ... If then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above. Sorry, Waldo, but the scripture tells it to be true, not on the things of this earth. If I'm focusing, constantly focusing on matters of my life, good things, constantly, without focusing on heaven, I'm going to lose direction and I won't be able to travel this journey that God's got me on. Is that true? Um, Philippians says, he says it like this, brethren, Philippians 3.13, brethren, I do not count myself to apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind, that means our baggage of the past, and reaching towards or forward, there's our forward theme again, to those things which are ahead, meaning our eternal home. We've got to keep our eyes on the prize, guys. Don't lose sight. Don't lose sight of what God's got for us. Um, there is a path revealed. I'll explain that later. There is a path that is not traveled by the multitudes. There is a path that has light, although there is so much darkness. There is a path, a narrow path, a narrow way, which is a problem to a lot of people because they think God is restrictive. God is a joy killer. He's not. The Bible says the, the Bible says in Psalm 16, verse 11, you'll show me the path of life. You'll show me the journey I'm on. Let me just pray for you right there. Father, I pray that you would show your people the path that they are on, the journey that you are in, encouraging them on 
to be the church, to be the people of God in this day, despite all the tension, despite all the fuss, I am introducing you to the greatest adventure, the greatest journey that you could ever imagine. I will show you the path of life in your presence is the fullness of joy. At your right hand are the pleasures forevermore. Amen? There is a path, there is a journey that will absolutely bless you. And, you know, the path revealed, if Proverbs 4.14, this, this sounds like the world, actually. Proverbs 4.14 says, Do not enter the path of the wicked. Do not walk in the way of evil. So there's another way, there's another path. Avoid it, do not travel on it, turn away from it, pass on. For, for they do not sleep unless they have done evil and their sleep is taken away unless they make someone fall. So these people who are lost in this darkness are in a quandary. For they eat the bread of wickedness and drink the wine of violence. You know, so much violence, so many people are living in darkness. It just gets darker and darker and, and, and just terrible. But then it says in Verse 18, but the path of the just, that you, is like the shining sun that shines ever brighter into the perfect day. And then it goes back into the way of the wicked, like darkness, they do not know what makes them stumble. Now, this is the way I see it. There is a light shining from heaven through Jesus, through the gospel, through the light, through the church. It's a light. And if we look to that light, the, the, the radiance of that light shows us the way, shows us the path, shows us the journey, shows us the great adventure of what the church can be. But if we turn from the light, we develop a shadow. So if I had a light shining here directly at me, and if I turned, there'd be a shadow. Wouldn't I get some friends who also don't believe in the light and turn their back? Now I've got a greater shadow and a greater, greater expanse, of, expanse of darkness in front of me. Now we're just groping along. You know, the Bible says in Isaiah, darkness covers the earth, uh, utter darkness. So it's very hard to find the journey of life when you're traveling, when you're not repentant and you, you, you've got this contrived, uh, this, this complication of not entirely walking with the Lord but you're turning now, you've got shadows, you're not making good decisions, you're walking into the shadows, into the gray areas. But if you turn to God, repent and walk and journey with Him, even despite you're backed up against the Red Sea. Let me finish by saying this. God's people were delivered. The Egyptians, Pharaoh, let my people go. Moses gets them out of Egypt, but God doesn't take them north to where, to where the promised land was. God takes them south. God leads them. How many times have you been led in another direction in your life when you're going, God, COVID, man, are we all doing well? Why are you leading this, this way? And so God leads the people the long way because he says, if you go the short way, you'll run into the Philistines and you're not prepared for it. You're not able to deal with that problem in your life. But God, I'm ready for it. I'm good. Why are we going the long way around? Why are you leading me to this problem? Why are you leading me into deep waters, this Red Sea, deep waters, problems, complications? God, why, why? And then the scripture says, Moses, tell your people to go forward. Be silent, be quiet, watch, and tell them to trust me. 
that I'm going to get them through this whole complication of this planet being unraveled. Don't go back the way you think you need to go. Because people said, no, how are they going to, where's the food? They started complaining. We had food back in Egypt. Natural inclinations, needing a place to stay, shelter, food. Everyone has this understanding. But sometimes you've got to do the hard yards. And then they're standing before that Red Sea. And God says to Moses, what do you have in your hand? And God says to C3 Church, through Vision Builders, you want to go forward? What do you have in your hand? Moses lifted up his staff. C3 Tugra and its people lifted up their Vision Builders offering. And guess what happened? The seas opened, and I believe because of Vision Builders this year, with our theme that we suggested prophetically that God gave us intuitively by faith, we believed that if we gave God something that we could lift up to Him, the Bible constantly says, lift up your voice, lift up your soul. Soul, why are you downcast? Lift up your soul to the Lord. Lift up your praise. Lift. The principle of lift is powerful. Planes run across a a runway and the principle of lift, if they're going quick enough, the air comes under the wings and it finds ascendancy and it lifts this huge weight, this huge mechanical contraption lifts off the fairway, off the the fairway. (laughs) Sorry, I'm stuck in golf well. Stuck, Stuck in golf well. And, and it rises. So what we did through Vision Builders, we said, Lord, and I'm done. We want to go forward. Yeah, what's in your hand? Now, this can happen any time during the, the year, by the way. When you want a breakthrough, when you want to move forward, you can lift an offering up to him. It's true what Andrew said. He sees the heart of that offering. And when you lift that offering, that sacrifice, because we said it's not about equal giving, it's about equal sacrifice. And people, we've had more buy-in this year from individual members of the church than ever before. And then there was some really very generous giving done and some sacrificial giving, obviously. And this is what I want to say to you. I'm praying that those Red Seas in front of you, that place that, that you're seemingly in a quandary, that place where you're seemingly stuck and you're looking back, you're even looking to God and saying, God, why? Well, I'm saying this. I declare this from that Vision Builders offering of $112,000 that we raised through this church. And that's not all. It's still coming in. Because we have a goal of 170, I think, 170,000, but $112,000 $112, commitment. And a, and a big chunk of it's already come in. So I want to say to you as, you, as your leader, as your guide, the Holy Spirit, I, 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 I see these um, 
when I get the imagery of trudging through the snow and ascending the hill of the Lord through the snow, the mountain of the Lord, uh, the Sherpas, I see the Holy Spirit carrying some of your burdens. You know, I see the Holy Spirit carrying some of your heartache. I, I, see, I, see, the, I see the Sherpas. And you're looking at the Sherpas, you're feeling sorry for that Sherpa. But the Sherpa says, I'll, I'll ditch this when, when the Lord tells me to. Some of you are going to ditch the baggage, the burdens, the dispositions. They're going to be ditched, but keep, keep going forward. The Red Seas have opened. Now listen, they went through. We emptied that dam. Big pump like this, diesel pump. Pumped out the turtles, the eels, the fish, the water out of the big dam, the temporary car park out there. And left probably about a meter and a half of silt, sludge, mud on the bottom. Now, you can't walk on that, can you? But when that Red Sea was opened and they trusted God to move them forward, they walked through on dry land. Who's ever been bogged? Who's ever played at the Springs Golf Course when it's wet, you're slipping, sliding, falling down on your bum like I was yesterday? It's the most... Horrible feeling being bogged in a car, isn't it, man? Because you lose traction. They walked through on dry land. God baked the bottom of that ocean supernaturally. We're going through, guys. We're going to have traction. We're not going into the slop and mire of, the, of yesterday. We're going through on a highway. We're on a pilgrimage to the Lord. And that highway comes from our heart. That highway is developed by all the disciplines that we do unto the Lord. The giving, the worship, the serving. They're, they're highways. Through the valley of Baca, through the weeping, we're going to make springs. We're going to make lemonade out of lemons. That, that scripture in, in Psalm 84. We're going to do that, church. Let's all stand. We're going to do that. We're going to go forward. That house that you desire, that accommodation that you desire, that loss of weight that you desire, that, that, that turn of events that you desire, that relationship deal that you need to see change, that economic situation you need to see change, your business needs to change, your children need a breakthrough, whatever it is. I declare this morning that Red Seas are opening and we are going forward in the name of Jesus. Father, despite the weather, the inclement weather, despite the, all the circumstance of life, Lord, we come out of base camp. We come out of the comfort of hibernating. We come out of the comfort of being isolated, insulated, preserving ourselves. Lord, help me to come out of my tent. Help me come out into the atmosphere of your love, of your purpose, of your grace. Help me, Lord God, begin to journey again unto my calling to serve you, to know you, to worship you. Jesus, 
Lord, I'm coming out from beyond this being shut down as a church, being shut down as an individual. We're going forward, guys. And God, in that, you are maturing us, creating character. You are teaching us how to fight. Because God said, you can't go the short way. You're not going to be able to fight the Philistines like that. I've got to train you. I've got to prepare you. I've got to get you i got to get you armed and prepared. That husband that you want, God's preparing you. You wanted that husband five years ago. But God says, just wait. I'm going to prepare you in your heart. I'm going to train you up for you are ready for that husband, that you are ready for that wife. I'm going to train you. even despite the valleys, the desert, and all the circumstance that you are facing, I'm going to teach you to hear my voice. I'm going to teach you to fight because the Egyptians lost the ability to fight. They became slaves instead of sons and daughters. Lord, I want to be your son. I want to be your daughter. Lord, I stand. You're going to lead me on. I ask for the Sherpas of the Holy Spirit to come around my life, to guide me, to lead me, to lead me on. Lord, as of this morning, I want to go forward. That's the theme of Vision Builders. We've lifted up an offering unto you, God, through Vision Builders. And we are going forward as of this day. We're trusting in you, obeying you. Holy Spirit, lead us, guide us. Holy Spirit, I give you permission to be the leadership in my life. Jesus, you are the leadership in my life. Lead me through my leaders. Lead me. Lead me to the rock that is higher than I. Lead me up the mountain of the Lord. I need ascendancy out of the carnality of the life, out of the dullness of life, out of the mediocrity of life. When that man says it's not about the destination, it's not true. It is about the destination and it is about being perfected. It's about being transformed into the likeness of Jesus. If you're not sure about your salvation, if you're here and you've been wondering, oh, am I absolutely sure of my salvation? I have a short prayer for you with eyes closed. My time is done. But in the power of Jesus' name, if you want to begin your journey all over again, You knew when you were a child, you were born for a great adventure, a great destiny, but you got cut in on, you got hijacked, you got disrupted. I want to pray for you to find the acceptance and the love of God to go again into this great adventure. If you're not, if you're not, if if you're not being absolutely convinced where your church is going as a great adventure, I'm praying for you that you would trust like they trusted Moses, that you would trust Jesus and trust the leadership of this church, that we are on a journey and we are ascending the hill of the Lord. We are ascending. We're going towards, as a pilgrimage, we're going towards Mount Zion, which is the place of His presence. Jesus, if there's anybody here that needs this prayer, to say yes to Jesus, to be born again, to be saved. Maybe you did this sometime before, but you need to do it in the house of God. 
I was reading about David Bowie yesterday. I'm not sure if he ever went to church, but he said, when I finally met the woman of my dreams in 1992, and I married her with a, with a typical uh, ceremony, uh, what is it, uh, an institutional ceremony, but I knew I needed to be married in the house of God. So he, he got married in this fantastic cathedral in Italy with all the bells and whistles. He says, because I know this, you should be married in church. <laughs> Amazing. Maybe you feel that you need to be born again in the church with eyes closed from the front to the back, from this side to this side. Quickly, just show your hand to heaven to be included in this prayer. If that's you, from this side to this side, if your heart's pounding, if you feel the warmth of His love, if you feel God lapping up on the shore of your heart, that's you. We're going to all say this prayer, but if you want to be included into it, please, just lift your hands quickly, put it down. Lift your hands in the presence of God. I'll give a few more moments. God speaking to you. Surrendering your heart to God is ultimately what God sees when you lift that hand. Jesus, save my soul. Jesus, I need you. If there's anyone like that, I need you, God. I give my life to you. Lord, I choose to make you Lord of my life. If that's you, Jesus, I just feel to wait just a little bit longer. Just put your hand, put it down, place it up, let heaven see it. Jesus, Lord God. Awesome. Well, there's one. Any others? God's patient with you. God's patient with you. All right, here it is. Here's a prayer to introduce you to the journey of life. Let's all say this prayer together. Father God, I believe in your Son, Jesus. I believe He walked the earth perform miracles made a way for me to reach heaven made a way for me to live an abundant life and Jesus you died on the cross for every obstacle every strategy from the pit of hell every disruption every abuse, every injustice, you went to the cross and died. Jesus, you rose on the third day. You live at the right hand of the Father. You're alive. You're peering down from heaven, looking at me, interceding for me praying for me, my family, my children, my life. Jesus, let's say this with me, guys. Lord Jesus, forgive me 
of all my sin, my disobedience from not journeying with you into the path of life where there is joy forevermore. Jesus, save my soul. Introduce me to the narrow way, the way of life. Because you said, Lord, the broad way leads to destruction. The options of the world, the good suggestions of life is a journey, not a destination. Attitudes. I renounce off my life and I declare you as my Lord, as my Savior, as my guide, as my leader, as my master, as my healer. Jesus, you are Lord of my life. And I thank you for that. And I worship you for it. And I love you all my life. Now, Lord, lead me as a church, as a family. Lead me onwards, upwards. Amen. Amen. Let's just sing a little bit. Let that be sealed to your spirit.